That's the explosion residents in Northeast Council Bluffs say they heard two nights ago. Roz, who says he doesn't want to be identified for his personal safety, says this footage he gave to 6 News captures the blast around 520 Wednesday evening. All of a sudden I heard this explosion and this concussion, it, it rattled the house. Wasn't that enlightening? You have reached Dr. Paul's worldviews. And they're out there. They're coming to get us. You know, I saw here recently where Tucker Carlson had commented on things that are visiting the earth, and he wasn't sure if it was spiritual or not. Visitors. And I made a little comment. I'm sure that Mr. Carlson did not even see it. I said, of course we've been visited. The earth is being visited all the time by non-humans. They're called angels. And a lot of them are not nice. And they run around and they trick people into believing that. Now, I don't know if they set off explosions in Council Bluffs, Iowa. But there seems to be more and more of that type of stuff going on. And it's all part of a worldview. It just depends on which worldview you're going to interpret them with. And from my perspective, there's only one that is correct. That is God's worldview, and he has revealed it. Whether we're talking about UFOs or explosions and all that kind of stuff. But we are visited <laughs> it kind of reminds me of a movie uh, not long ago. Kurt Russell was in. The guy was talking about, you know, the chariots of the gods, man. They practically own South America. <laughs> well, I don't know if they own South America or anything like that, but there is an answer to it all. Anyway, welcome to the program. I'll be here for probably, uh, probably the next hour or so. Sharing with you what God's perspective is in relation to the Christian Constitution. And we have turned the corner here. We have gotten halfway through the book of Romans. We're starting chapter 9 today. And I want to encourage you to get your Bible. That is always a good thing. When we're talking about Bible things, that you have your Bible open. So that you can follow along. And if you happen to have a question along the way, you can jot it out. Send it off to me, podcast at capper.info, and I'll try to get back to you. If you are a previous follower, thank you. Uh, and for those who have just recently joined, Bruce and Rob. I don't know who Bruce and Rob are, but Bruce and Rob, you decided to follow. Thank you for that. There was another one who followed earlier. I don't think he had a name. I think it was an anonymous one. So if you decide to follow anonymously, not anonymously, I should put it that way, spit it out here, thanks for being a part of the program. Uh, it is greatly appreciated. Now, some have asked, Dr. Paul, how can we possibly support you? Well, in fact, one guy asked me, and you probably uh, have seen uh, his comment, do you advertise? No, I don't. <laughs> I really don't have the ways and means to do it. But uh, if if anybody dares to want to uh, support this, whatever you want to do, 
there's actually two ways. One is over on my website, capro.info. There's a little donation button there. And you can go donate that way. This is not a non-for-profit deal, you know, anything like that. Can't write it off on your taxes. But if you want to support, that's great. It helps me to, you know, pay Podbean for the the time and the space to be able to do this. Or uh, I've set up a little thing over on, uh, what is it called? Oh, Apple Podcasts, where many of these programs that I'm doing, you know, if they stay on Pod, Podbean long enough, I just ship them over there. And there's a subscription, I think it's two bucks a month, something like that. You can listen all you want over there. And that's the way you can support. Otherwise, I'm not going to advertise. I think it's just God's providence. Whoever comes my way, they come my way. Uh, if they don't, they don't. I know a lot of people like to tag on all of their ads and all that stuff. And Podbean does that type of a thing as well. But they they still, they're out to make money. And I don't fault them for that. But it's still just a little bit too much for me to be able to handle. So, uh, Or want to handle, I probably should say. Uh, I do all the work. <laughs> Whether we're talking about uh, Kwanzaa or we're talking about Christmas or fireballs in Iowa or whatever, uh, I do all the work. So uh, I, I don't make anything other than that. I don't think I've made a dime on this <laughs> since I started it. And we're, what, 100 and some episodes in? And some people probably say, what are you doing? This is a this is a way to make but Well, uh, this is really not my you know, goal, you know, to, to make, you know, boatloads of money like some of them do and say nothing. I want to produce a, hopefully a substantive uh, program where you'll benefit from it. Freely you've been, you know, freely you receive, freely you give. But once again, if you want to throw in a buck or two, whatever here or there, that's fine. Just don't worry about it. Uh, here we are, you know, we're in the book of Romans. This is the main thing that I do this because I really think if we take care of the main thing, all the other things will take care of themselves. And right now, and once again, you know, I did, I did, did the thing on Christmas and I'm still getting land blasted on that one. And why is that? Because of biblical ignorance. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy the way some people are, you know, just beside themselves over what I had to say about Christmas, and I'm still responding to them, and they will not put themselves beneath the authority of their Bible. It is just amazing to me sometimes. It's not only amazing, it's heartbreaking, because if we don't have a biblical message to stand upon, we've got nothing. As I tried to explain to one guy, who was ripping on the Bible as a Christian. He's ripping on the Bible <laughs> because he wants his tradition. And I try to point out to him, well, you know what? If we don't have a biblical standard to go by, it's it's everybody for himself. You can make up whatever you want to make up then about Christmas, about your birthday, <laughs> your own particular holiday. It doesn't matter. You could make it up, and it's all going to be Christian and we're all going to honor God that way. No, we're not. No, we're not. God gave us the Bible for a very specific reason. Uh, actually, several specific reasons to not only reveal himself, but then to also pinpoint or expose the heresies, the things that will lead people astray into idolatry. <laughs> and if we, if we kick it to the curb... I mean, we've seen what has happened in the public school system and in the legal system and in the government. We've seen what has happened when, when Christians, loosely so-called, so have decided to not live their lives according to what God has revealed. We see the best that has taken place just here in the, in the United States of all places, the place where, you know, Bibles are still flying off the shelves, and nobody reads them. Well, it's not going to do any good to have a Bible if you don't read it. And worse yet, it's not going to do any good if you read it and you don't put it to practice. And so anyway, uh, I'm still being taken to task on that, and that's fine. I'm glad at least I'm 
maybe provoking, you know, a response or two that that is causing people to think. And may God by his spirit convict these people, these Christians, for the things they say about the Bible. And then would rather hold to blasphemy in the name of Christianity. Uh, God, may you convict them and break their hearts and cause them to repent and come back to you if they're genuinely Christians. Now, if they're not genuinely Christians, it's going to be, you know, they're going to fall on deaf ears. They're not going to pay attention. They don't care. Uh, They want to wear their Christianity on their sleeve, and they'll think that one day when they stand before God one day and give an account of themselves that they're going to be in full expectations of just waltzing into heaven, and God's going to say, or Jesus is going to say, I don't know who you are. Be gone. Go away. Depart from me, you workers of of iniquity and lawlessness, and so on and so forth. So all of that is to say, uh, welcome to the program. (laughs) Uh, We're in Romans chapter 9. We've been talking about, previously, you know, eternal security. That's how Paul wrapped up uh, chapter 8. The whole chapter is about eternal security for the most part. And now we're going to turn to a completely different subject. And it's going to last about three chapters here. And it's dealing with the nation of Israel. Because the nation of Israel is on Paul the Apostle's heart. He's a Jew. He was a Pharisee. Till God got a hold of him and converted him, changed his mind, changed his lifestyle, changed his theology, straightened it out. Well, he still has his Jewish brethren he left behind. And in Romans chapter 9, all the way to chapter 11, Paul is going to address what happened to him. Where'd they go? Uh, a, a lot of people seem to think, you know, you've got all this gathering over there in Israel. Those are all Jews. Well, some of them might be by descent in a natural way. They were born into a Jewish family. Maybe they got a Jewish name. But as the Apostle Paul has already pointed out, just because you're born in a Jewish family doesn't mean that you are a Jew spiritually. And Paul's going to address that very subject right here. It is going to be one of those things where people can say, oh, the Apostle Paul, he was was an (laughs) anti-Semite. He's a Jew himself. Understand what Paul is saying. When he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ, here in verse 1 in chapter 9, I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham, because they are, actually, and not all are children of Abraham because they, uh, they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. We'll explain that a little bit later on. <laughs> read, a lot, read a little bit clearer, too. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had not done 
and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say, then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show you my power in you, and that my name might be be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. The Apostle Paul was torn in two over his devotion to the Lord and the plight of the Jews. And he wants to try to make this evident to the Roman Christians of how much his heart broke over the direction that the Jews have gotten. You know, the Jews at this time had just come out of, you know, their captivity. Of course, been a few years removed, a couple hundred years removed, actually. But still, you had devout Jews there, Pharisees, if you will. A lot of people want to cast aspersions and look down their pious noses at the Pharisees. And yes, the Pharisees got a good lambasting by Jesus because of their strictness and their legalities and and the like. They, They were the extreme end of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the liberals. The, the Pharisees were the way off of the deep end uh, of the, the fundamentals, and both of them missed the mark. But they were trying. They were, they were biblicistically now. You know, they uh, kind of wanted to ad-lib and add some things and some strictures that, you know, violated the spirit of the law. But still, they were the ones that were trying and still missed the boat. And Paul knew this. He was a Pharisee himself. He was the one who was going around imprisoning and and killing Christians himself before Jesus, by his grace, knocked him on his backside and blinded him and then gave him a completely different perspective on life, on who God was, who Jesus was, what the Bible was about. And he says, you know what? I'm not lying. My conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. You know, and that's, and that's something, you know, somebody said, we really don't know what the conscience is, but, and that's probably true, it's, it's an inner thought process, but here he's saying, you know, the Holy Spirit's the one who's influencing me. In fact, he's the one who's bearing witness to the things that I'm, I'm thinking when it comes to the, the nation of Israel, that the Israelites, my brethren, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, the seed of the emotions. It breaks Paul up to have to talk about this. In fact, he, he's, he's so broken up over the plight of the Jews that he wished himself he was accursed. The word anathema that we sometimes throw around from time to time uh, to, to, to be cursed by God all over again. He wishes this. Now, it's not a possibility. Because as Paul had already pointed out in the previous chapter, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And that's where Paul was. But he still wishes this for the sake of his brethren. He loves them. And really, that's the attitude that we as Christians should have for the lost as well. So people, like I was talking about here a second ago, like to throw aspersions at me and I'm a swine, as somebody said here recently. For telling them the truth. You know, they like to say, well, that's not Christ-like that you're you're tearing this apart and you're tearing that apart and the like, even though the, the Bible makes it clear that that's what a Christian should do. Tear down the fortresses that are propped up against God and his truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. 
We should tear those things down. But you see, the world sees this as a way to say, you're not Christ-like because you're out, you're being, you're, you're, you're not equating, you know, Christianity with, with Islam and, and Buddhism and, well, the various and sundry cults in Christianity and Roman Catholicism and Mormonism and Joe, you're not being nice. You know, you're, 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 you're being icky. And so you're not a Christian. You don't love us. That's not very loving. And my response is, you know what? If I did not love the people I'm telling the truth to, I wouldn't tell them anything. I would be like the world. I'd say, you know what? There's no distinction between what Christianity has to offer and what the Sikhs have to offer, what the Satanists have to offer. We're just all one big, happy, blended family here of conflicting ideas about the truth and reality and salvation itself. And you know what? Eventually, we just kind of do enough goody-goody things in our own opinion. Karma will win out, and we'll all end up at the same end, the same goal. That's how I would be. But I know that's a lie. So I... I'm going to tell the truth. And you know, oftentimes, I mean, it's just me. I'm not a social butterfly. I'm not, you know, uh, the life of the party, so to speak. I I don't tell great jokes. I, I mean, I love joking around with people. But I'm not a jokester per se. And I'm not all warm and squishy. Uh, I just wasn't raised that way is my personality. Maybe some people are, and they're likable, and they're lovable, and all that kind of stuff. I guess we're each likable and lovable in our own ways. But a vast majority of people have this kind of corny caricature, what they think Christians are and ought to be and what Christianity is about. And so if you come across, you know, with the Bible and just kind of state it to them, they think you're the problem. No, sin is the problem. People have a sin problem. And oftentimes they don't want to hear the truth. And anything that kind of rubs them the wrong way, well, pretty soon they become the judge. Judge not that you be not judged while they're judging. It's an amazing irony. It's an amazing bit of hypocrisy. And when you point that out, they get, well, that's not, that's not Christian either. <laughs> All over again. The Apostle Paul here is going to be castigated. In fact, he was uh, beaten, left for dead a few times, at least once, uh, beaten multiple times for his revelation concerning what Jesus had to offer, who Jesus was. The Jews didn't want to hear it, but still Paul loved them. He wanted to be, if it was possible, to be accursed so that they would come to the truth. He didn't have a problem being cut off if it meant that his Jewish brothers would be enlightened, would be illuminated, would be converted to the truth. I think that is almost unfathomable sometimes because there are some really ugly people that you would think, uh, no, I, 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 I could not lay down my life for them. And yet that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is wishing upon himself, that he could lay down his life for those who were ugly towards him, though, for those that did beat him bad enough to leave him as dead. He says in verse 4, they are Israelites. And to them belong a whole bunch of things. You know, when it comes to relationships, and you hear about Christians saying, well, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. The Jews were the most relative when it came to the things of God of any people in history. Paul says to them belongs the adoption. And the only way that anybody is ever going to be 
a child of God is through adoption. God is going to have to make that determination, that election, that selection. Somebody said election is selection, and that's true. But to the Jews, the, the, the whole ordinance of adoption belonged to them. God worked through them after things didn't exactly work out with Adam and Noah. God's going to work through them to try to bring redemption to, to, to humankind. Now, they failed and fell on their face time after time after time, but there were still some converts. There were those who were going to be adopted by God. They were called the remnant. To them belonged the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law. I mean, how many people, well, <laughs> I may not, may not want to ask that question. How many people even know where the law came from? If you say Moses, is it who's that? You say Mount Sinai, you say, what's that? You say Ten Commandments, oh, I know what the Ten Commandments are. They don't know, they don't know Bo Diddley about anything else, but they know at least something about the Ten Commandments. The giving of the law came through Judaism. It is what drives Christians, as, as the Apostle Paul will talk about in the book of Galatians, it's what drives Christians to Christ, or the sinner, I should say, to Christ. That's, that was the whole, the whole intent. But that the law came through the Jews. And the worship of God, you see, all, this is one thing that drives me nuts as well. You know, when you take a look at the Old Testament <clears throat> and the worship system that was set up there and the, and the priesthood and those that were selected to do certain duties and all of the furniture, the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant and all of that, all of that was intended to glorify and worship God. And yet we've got people today, and this is part of what I, you know, tried to point out to the, the, these people who are trying to, to defend Roman Catholicism and that whole priesthood. It is false. It has no reminiscence to anything in the Old or the New Testament. And yet people... Look at the Pope and his mitre on his head and, and the stupid things he says lately. And all the other priests and the nuns. There were no nuns in the Old Testament. There were no nuns in the New Testament. All of that is phony baloney. So if you really want to know about worship, you go back to the Old Testament to see how that was set up. And that's a foreshadow of things to come. And then in the New Testament, you've got the New Testament priesthood. You know, the priest was supposed to act as an intermediary between God and the people, the average lay person, and performing all of these sacrifices. Well, when you get to the New Testament, you now have Jesus as the intermediary between God and man, and we've all now been included in this priesthood because we now have direct access to the Father. That's why I say, you know, Roman Catholicism is a bunch of nonsense because they still have this dividing wall. In fact, for the longest time, the pontiff and the, and the, the whole hierarchical uh, structure of, of Roman Catholicism kept a, 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 uh, a barrier between God and man, saying you've got to come through us to get to him because we're the only ones who can interpret you know, what God has to say. No, we're the ones going to make all of these faux ordinances. We're the ones that can interpret the Bible for you. We're going to leave it in Latin so you can't even read it. It's a bunch of nonsense. The worship belonged to the Jews to start with. So if you want a model, go back there first. And the promises. You know, the Apostle Paul had talked about this earlier on here in the, the book of Romans. You know, it's... It's because of the promises that God had made, starting with the covenants with Abraham and so on and so forth, up to the time of Christ, that anybody is going to be redeemed, is going to be a child of God. Why? Because you can't keep what God told you to keep. You can't work your way into heaven. It's because of what God has promised by faith that that is applied to you that was applied to the Jews. 
And it started with Abraham. And it, he says, he says also in, in uh, Romans 9, 5, to them belong the patriarchs, all of the forefathers, all of the, the, the people like Noah and Abraham and, and David, Saul, and the, the major and the minor prophets, all of that belongs to the Jews. Now, <laughs> needless to say, like all human beings, this doesn't, once again, it doesn't make the Jews superhuman beings. That just, they're human beings like anybody else, you and me and everybody else who happened to be not Jews. They fell on their face. Sin was as much a part of their lives as anyone else's. And, you know, if anything, they serve as an example to Christians later on when you have the new covenant come in in the person of Jesus. They serve as an example that if you let sin run amok, it will destroy you. It will lead you away to following false gods. And the Jews did this time, and they're doing it today. But for a very good reason that Paul will talk about here in Romans 9 through 11. It's for you and I who are not Jews. And that doesn't mean there isn't Messianic Jews because they're going to be those that have converted to Christianity that were Jews in the, in the, uh, in the ethnic sense. To them belong the patriarchs. The patriarchs served as guides, as, as those who received the message of God. To them belong and from their race according to the flesh, Christ himself comes. Jesus Christ came through the Jews. He is God over all. And I know that's going to curl the hair of a lot of people who say, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus wasn't God. Or some people who say they're Christians, they say, well, I thought he was the son of God. Who is God over all. This may be the first time, maybe you've heard that. Maybe it's the first time you've read that. That Jesus Christ was God incarnate. And he came through the lineage of the Jews. Now, a lot of people say, say oh, I knew he was a Jewish carpenter, but I thought he was just an average good guy, you know, like, uh, one of God's uh, uh, select persons to bring salvation to the world. Well, it's God who saves his own people. And this came through the person of Jesus Christ himself, who came through the Jews, blessed forever. Kind of, kind of God's way of saying, I approve of this message. Amen. So Paul is pointing out here that the, the Jews were in possession of all kinds of things. But the problem is they fell on their face. They committed sin. They were led away into idolatry. And many of them today are doing the same thing. I've known... I, you know, my wife and I would walk around at the mall, have been for years, and oftentimes there will be a, a whole bunch of them, young Jewish teenagers working in the mall, doing their thing, selling their wares and all this kind of stuff. Some of the nicest, I think they're kids because they're all pretty much about 20 years old for the most part, over here on a work visa. Great kids, great to talk to. We befriended several of them, and they look forward to seeing us. We just had a great time with them. And now they've all moved on to other cities or gone back to Israel. Just great kids. But they're lost. They're carnal. They brought their carnality with them. Their, you know, unwillingness to bow the knee to their Messiah, mainly because, I, well, obviously in God's providence, that's the way they are. They're not redeemed. That doesn't mean they're not Jewish in an ethnic sense. They are not redeemed, though. They're spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, as the Apostle Paul would talk about. That's why he would say in verse 6, it's not because, you know, the, the word of God has failed. 
because it didn't. It it remained true. Uh, it's that in this economy here, or this prevalence of sin, they remained hardened, and for a very good reason. You know, if it's opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles, you know. Jesus is going to talk about this as being the other sheep that he's got. Well, the other sheep are the Gentiles. So all of these things that were specific towards the Jews are now becoming available to the Gentiles. That's why he would say earlier on that that, uh, in chapter 8 that we're now heirs those that are converts to Christianity who see the Messiah for what he is and have been have been forgiven by God, regenerated God. Jesus said being born again, born again from above into God's family are now heirs of everything that Christ has. The things that were part and parcel of being a Jew are now for the Gentiles. And here's something else that Paul's going to say. And once again, a lot of people are going to accuse him of being an anti-Semite as a Jew. (laughs) He says, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. This is something that Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 2. And something that I pointed out or elaborated on briefly about what a true Jew was. A true Jew is not just one who's been born into a Jewish family. He said earlier in chapter 2, in verses 20 and 29, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor a circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one who is inwardly, and circumcision is that, is, is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And this is not novel to Judaism. Because if you go back to the Old Testament, God had made that evident to the Jews then, that circumcision was of the heart. Oh, yeah, there was that outward manifestation. Yeah, the, the baby was supposed to be, especially the female, oh, not the, the female, the males were supposed to be circumcised at, at day number eight. And, if, you know, when the initial covenant was established, many of the men underwent circumcision, and I'm sure that made them happy for several days. Yeah, there's that outward manifestation, but ultimately, circumcision is of the heart. What has God done there to make that person identify with the covenant, with with God's people? That's why he says, you know, not everyone who is descended from Israel belonged to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are of his offspring. Now, obviously, Abraham didn't run around and have billions of, of Jewish children. He had his sons, and then they propagated from there. That's what he's talking about here. Just because a Jew comes through that lineage in a physical way doesn't mean that they are Israelites in the spiritual sense of the word. He says, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, Isaac was was, uh, Abraham's son. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And he's going to make a case here, you know, to explain why some are Jews and some are not. Some are part of the promise, some are not. And it's because of God's choice. Something else that a lot of people don't want to hear because they want to be in control. They want to rip God's sovereign election away from him as if God is like, well, you know, God, you created me with with a free will, and if you don't let me exercise it, well, you just ain't God. Well, it doesn't work that way. The only person who was ever free in the absolute sense of the word were Adam and Eve, and they blew it. No one has been absolutely free since. 
And that's why when it comes to salvific issues and spiritual issues and the like, if God doesn't really exercise his sovereign will, he would just leave us the way we are. In fact, we're going to talk about, he talked about this before, uh, in Romans chapter 8, talking about predestination. You know, that ugly little word that talks about what's on the horizon. God already saw coming. We don't see two inches past the end of our nose most of the time. God saw our salvation off on the horizon because God is just as present there in time and space as he is right now. But a lot of people don't want to hear that. But God not only predestined those people to salvation, he left the rest of them to the decision they made in Adam way back when. He says in verse 8, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. Now he's going to explain what that means. Because way back when this whole uh, Jewish race got started, uh, I wasn't around in the garden, by the way. It it came along after, uh, like I said, Adam, he kind of fell on his face, and Noah fell on his face, and, and, well, things just weren't working out. And so instead of working with individuals, now God is working with a nation. He says in verse 9, well, this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. He's talking to Abraham. Abraham, <laughs> you know, you go, you go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 16, where, where uh, Adam, or not Adam, but Abraham doesn't have a son. Sarah's not able because she's up at age. And really, Abraham is up at age. Uh, but still, Sarah has, Sarai, I should say, or that was her name before her name was changed, says, you know, I'm not going to be able to have any kids. Go to my handmaid, Hagar, and Hagar will accommodate you. She's my concubine, and Abraham's like, okay. So he goes and conceives with Hagar, and out comes Ishmael. He's 86 years old. Don't know how old Hagar was, but she apparently was still of childbearing age, and voila, well, this upset Sarai. Uh, in fact, she gets ticked off at Abraham. And so uh, Abraham said, well, look, it's not you, you just go tell her to, to leave if you want to. It's in your power to do so. And so she does. Kicks her to the curb, kicks her out of the camp. Bye, see you later. Adios. Uh, hasta la vista, baby. And uh, so here's Hagar out there. God, or the angel of the Lord comes along and tells her, well, what's the problem here? Well, you know, uh, my mistress has kicked me out and so on and so forth. And she assures Hagar that, well, you're you're carrying a son here, and he's going to be quite prolific in producing kids too. You're going to have 12 princes and so on and so forth. Gives her some water, and everything is wonderful. His name is Ishmael. He's the, uh, going to be the forerunner of the, the Arabs, you know, and uh, even the Muslims today identify with him. Well, 13 years later, this promise that Abraham is going to be the father of many nations is made again evident to Abraham. He says, you know what? You're going to conceive with Sarah, name change, and she's going to bear you a son, and out of that's going to come the rest of the nations that that is going to be prolific. Well, at first, <laughs> Abraham laughs, and then later on, so does Sarah. But lo and behold... A year later, when Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah's 90, well beyond childbearing age, along comes Isaac. And through Isaac, this covenant is established. That's what Paul's talking about here. That not everybody uh, that claims to be of, of Abrahamic descent is necessarily going to be part of the covenant because it's going to be established through Isaac, not Ishmael. And, you know, along the way, it's not only going to be a lot of intermarrying on the part of the Jews, you're going to have a lot of people who are not Jews they are going to go ahead and be converts and so on and so forth. Not everybody that was part of that clan was part of the covenant. 
And so he goes on in verse 10, he, he, he takes it one step further. He says, not only so, but also when Rebecca, Rebecca is going to be Jacob's wife. Jacob's going to be Isaac's son. Well, she has twins. It says, but when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, this would have been uh, Jacob and Esau. Wait, sorry, was it Jacob and Esau? Isaac and Jacob. Jacob and Jacob. I got it wrong. Uh, Jacob and Esau are going to be the sons of Isaac. Sorry about that. Isaac and Rebecca. Yeah, okay. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, uh, done that, I, nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. You see, they weren't even born yet, and God had already made the decision of who was going to serve who. It was God's choice, not theirs. They hadn't even been born yet. And so Rebecca's told, uh, the older will serve the younger. In fact, Esau is going to go his own way. Uh, his whole thing about uh, giving up his birthright and the so on and so forth, they angered him. Of course, there's all of that. You go back and read it sometime. It's quite a fascinating story about who's going to deceive who the best and the most trickery that takes place. But still God manages to work through that lineage and out comes the Savior hundreds of years later. But the point here is that this promise was made through Isaac, given to Jacob, and that's how, I mean, the whole point here is it's God's choice, God's election. It says on in verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. I don't think God necessarily hated Esau because he was a... Uh, some kind of a pariah, but by in the sense of when it comes to covenant promises fulfilled, Jacob was loved and Esau was hated. Kind of a nice, well, no, maybe not. Well, I guess a, a way of solidifying the whole idea that when it comes to salvific issues and regeneration and God's people, it's God's choice. But you know, as is as the case, uh, that Paul has used throughout the whole book of Romans, he asks the question, probably because others have asked him about this too. And there are people still asking the same question. Well, uh, what shall we say? Uh, uh, is there injustice on God's part? And uh, as he likes to uh, say, me gonita, as he's done before, absolutely not. God is not unjust. Just because he picked one and didn't pick the other, that doesn't make him unjust. Take a look at the circumstances. <clears throat> you know, if Adam would have never, never fell in the first place, we wouldn't have all of this going on. Sin is still prevalent. God is still working through this, this nation. Where he says to Moses, he's going to use another example here. He's going to shift gears going to bring up another example where God's election comes into play. And he says, uh, well, he says to Moses, you know, the, the, the guy that went to Mount Sinai and, and uh, you know, took the Ten Commandments, received the Ten Commandments. He says, I'll have mercy on who I, who, whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I remember here not too long ago, well, somebody, they, they brought up the subject. I didn't. They brought it up, and they just, they cringed over this. How could this be? This is just so rude. How dare God be this way? And I'm thinking to myself, in fact, Paul's going to rebut that argument here in a little bit later on here in Romans chapter 9. Uh, but I'm thinking to myself, how rude are you? You're like a lot of people... <laughs> Getting back to the Christmas thing, you're wanting to tell God what to do, just like the Roman Catholic priest is going to tell Jesus what to do when it comes to Christmas and being sacrificed again. I mean, like, who do you think you are? God 
tells Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. At that, in that particular context, Moses is asking to see God's glory. And God knows that he is not able to endure it. No human being can. The best that anyone is going to do when it comes to God's glory and, and seeing it, at least in this particular setting, as sinners that are in need of redemption or even after being redeemed and wrestling with the problems of sin is a theophany. And that's the best that, that Moses is going to get. He's going he's to get the, the hind parts. He's not going to be able to see God face to face. If he did, Moses would have died. Now, that doesn't mean that Jacob doesn't wrestle with the Lord, but that is going to be a theophany there. And so he says in, in verse 16, when, in, in relation to all this stuff about promises to who's going to be, uh, uh, to those who are going to be God's children, it doesn't depend on human will or exertion. Doesn't matter what you say. You know, this is why, you know, I keep pointing out the whole idea, you know, of a, of a preacher standing in the pulpit on a Sunday morning when it comes to the promises of God and salvation specifically. If you say to that person, if you'll just, if you will, just get up out of your seat and come down forward. We'll show you the Romans road, and and uh, you'll make this prayer and all this kind of stuff. And then you're in like Flynn. It's nonsense. This promise doesn't depend on human will or exertion. It doesn't depend on your works. It depends on God who has mercy. That's the best we can expect. And then by his grace, he will draw a person out of that pulpit or put a person on their knees by a conviction of the Spirit. That's what Jesus said. He's going to send the Spirit to convict the world of sin. Well, with that conviction comes conversion. But it's not based on human will because human will is corrupt. It is narcissistic. It says, I want what I want. When I want it, whatever I want it. And God says, when it comes to my promises, no, it doesn't. It doesn't matter how hard you work. And as I pointed out before, if it doesn't, I mean, if, if, if exertion is not a part of your salvation, exertion is not going to be something that's going to preserve it either. That's why Paul would say in the previous chapter, there is no condemnation. Why? Because it depends on God's mercy. A lot of people don't understand. They don't want to understand it because they think their destiny is in their hands. You know, once again, if God doesn't save you and he leaves you to your sin, that's all the control you're going to have, and it's going to lead you straight to hell. That's why if we're going to pray for somebody's salvation, we would just ask God not to motivate them to come and get the carrot, so to speak, but that God would bear them into his family by his grace, by his mercy, by his promise, and that they would realize it. And as I've pointed out before, you know, when it comes to being a child of even your own parents, you're not going to realize it to your, what, two, three, four, I don't know. I guess it depends on on the person and their cognitive skill, I guess. But I know that I didn't realize that I had parents or uh, that I was born into the world till much later, three, four, I don't know. I was just kind of taking things for granted. And you know, that's how it's going to be in the Christian life. You're not going to realize that you're born of God until things start to click. And then you're going to acknowledge, hey, God the Father is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. 
and then you're going to grow up from there. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, you know, he's going to use another example here. He's going to use Pharaoh. He says, uh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show you my power in you and that my name might be, be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh wasn't one of God's favorite persons, and he certainly wasn't a friend of, of Israel. But he uses him to show the world, to show his own people, to show the Jews just who is in control here. Pharaoh says, I'm not letting him go, and God kept punishing him till finally he takes the firstborn of all the males there in Egypt. And then he says, I'm going to let him go. And then even after that, he tries to chase him down, chase Israel as they're crossing the Red Sea. And then God brings the Red Sea crashing down on him. Say, well, okay, you didn't learn the other way. Okay, we're just going to go ahead and terminate your life. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who has the power to save. God is the one who exercises mercy to be able to say, it's not us. It's not somebody like Power who's a, who was a magnanimous worldly ruler at the time. Paul reiterates this in verse 18. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. And there's going to be some people that are going to be listening to what I'm saying right now that are going to be hardened by what I've got to say because it comes straight out of this, this book I have here in front of me. I've said before, you know, that when it comes to the things of God and the Word of God specifically, there are going to be two reactions. The Bible makes it clear that God's Word doesn't return void, and this is not going to return void either. But one of them is that God is going to break the hearts of those that have been hardened against God and they're going to be, well, kind of like the Apostle Paul. They're going to be converted. On the other hand, there are going to be those who are going to be hardened in their sin and rebellion against God and will be forever lost. I hope and pray that's not you. I hope and pray that because you're here by God's providence, that God has something profound for you that by his promise, you will be regenerate. You will be born of God by what God says, by God's will, by God's mercy, and that you will recognize that and shuck off all of the religiosity and false doctrine that has led you to believe that you are in control, that you are going to tell God, well, You've now got permission to save me. No, God is going to exercise his will, and you will be saved on his time and in his way and his grace and his mercy. He doesn't need your permission, just like he didn't need Israel's permission or the apostle Paul or anyone else. It's God's choice. I hope and pray that that is what he has in store for you. If you're not already there, and if you're already there, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I hope and pray that then you will share that message with others because it is a message of hope because God is in absolute control of everything. Share with me that good news. Tell me what God has done in your life. Tell me how you've shared this with others and there, <laughs> that light bulb in their head came on and said, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, as usual, when we get the little jingle going on here, it's time to come to a close. If you have any questions or comments, I would love to hear from you podcast at capro.info and I'll try to get back to you as quickly as possible if you've got a question. Until then, Lord bless you. Look forward to meeting with you again as we continue on this journey.
journey through the Christian Constitution and what happened to Israel in Romans chapter 9 to chapter 11. We'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye.